0: Welcome to the New Space India podcast, a bi-weekly talk show that exclusively captures insightful conversations with people contributing to advancement of space activities in India. The New Space India podcast is pleased to announce our association with Dassault Systems, a global leader in providing business and people with collaborative virtual environments to imagine sustainable innovations. Dassault Systems Solutions support startups small and medium-sized enterprises, and original equipment manufacturers in developing disruptive solutions for space launchers and satellite propulsion. Recently, a supply chain digitization study with Dassault Systems was conducted to provide a foundational understanding of the supplier landscape in the Indian space ecosystem. Please use the link in the description to download the public white paper of the results of this study which will also give you a perspective on how ready Indian suppliers are to enter the global space market. Hi, and welcome to yet another episode of the New Space India podcast. And we have Mr. Vedya with us again, who's returned. Thankful to him for coming back and talking about the spin-offs of the technology that uh, Godrej has uh, done by participating in the space program and then taking it potentially to the other areas. Thank you again, sir, for taking so much of the time during your vacation uh, while you're visiting your family in the U.S. and participating in the show again. Yeah, thank
1: you, Dr. Narayan. I mean, it's my pleasure to be with you again. Thank you.
0: So one of the things that we discussed in the first episode with you was, uh, or we touched upon, was this aspect of some of the spin offs. And you talked, I think, uh, as I remember, you know, some part of it on desalination plants and several other things that you mentioned in in that particular aspect so from your own remembrance of uh, you know having worked in godrej and also with isro for quite a long time can you start talking about the earliest recollection that you had of a spin off where you saw that you worked on something that was isro related or the space program related and you saw that as a direct correlation of that learning or that process being implemented in a
1: non-space area sure so first let me uh, just uh, give a little brief uh, once again it may be a little uh of the last episode but it is important for me to really elaborate then to impress upon the importance of the the spin-offs what we really look for as you know godrej and boys uh, is a multi-product company and right from refrigerators washing machines to a very complex uh, Parts uh, used in refinery, petrochemical, aerospace, defense, auto industry, and even in the nuclear industry is what uh, we got involved into. Now, the transition from the consumer product to uh, this kind of uh, custom built, uh, specially made uh, against a project was important for us to learn. And most important in this was really to understand, so when it is your own product, you have your own quality systems, your own designs, your own acceptance criteria you select everything. But when you built it for someone else, you have to work with the specifications, what he will select, the design, what he will select. And our role at Godrej & Boyce was mainly to do build to print so we are going to be really looking into the manufacturing so all my examples in spin-off are going to be related to manufacturing and i'm sure that all of you know that there are so many examples if you open up any internet page on uh, spin-offs number of products uh, you will be able to see it what has come from either uh, the demand from the defense or from the aviation or from the space industries. But I'm going to talk mainly on to the manufacturing and that's why this brief was required. Now, way back in 1985, when we uh, started interacting with the Indian space program, the first and foremost important point was for us is to understand how the actually the aerospace industry works. I mean, it is not like uh, what you do in a consumer product. Consumer product is more towards uh, marketing, more towards cost reduction and more towards meeting the minimum requirements whereas in this aerospace domain it is not the minimum requirements you have to meet each and every requirement and not only each and every requirement but each and every requirement to its 100% satisfaction because then only that product will get accepted even if there is a slightest compromise it will not be accepted by the customer So the quality understanding and the systematic approach towards manufacturing using quality standards. I mean, as we always say, it's a triangle, uh, quality, cost and delivery. One can choose how to enter this triangle. And once you take any approach, whether you take approach to reduce cost or you take approach to improve delivery, your other two parameters are definitely going to improve. I'm not saying that because of one, the other two are going to get stretched. But the approach is different and here we learn approach as to how to really ensure the quality and that's the first spin-off we took it into our other consumer products and it benefited us tremendously and especially when uh, the India got uh, opened up from the traditional kind of a restricted market or the license raj as we call with the license to economy which is open to the globe and uh, we were able to export similarly imports was easy and when the competition came in for the consumer products from abroad i think this spin-off what we used of learnings from quality that really stood godrej to continue its quality mark into the indian market and also to learn how to export our products from india to the neighboring countries first of course and then to the uh, the rest of the Asian countries. And now today we have markets in uh, US, Europe, China, Australia, New Zealand, all over the world. So that is the first spin-off, I will say. Coming a little more specific to the engineering spin-off or to the manufacturing spin-off, uh, way back in uh, 1990, we started understanding uh, the cryogenic technology. That was a need for the work for Indian space program and it had uh, a very complex multi uh, rather not multi double wall technology to be used for uh, manufacturing the divergence. now if you have to be really good uh, in this uh, double wall technique both the walls should have almost similar profile and not only the similar profile but they should hug because they are going to get brazed But this condition was not sufficient even if mechanically we were able to produce two parts with very close tolerances but the cleanliness of those parts while brazing and before brazing on the exotic alloys what we use in aerospace was a challenge and then we were thinking as to what can be done to improve the surface conditioning the preparation of a surface because in a vacuum you cannot use a traditional flux or any cleaning agents it will go and contaminate your vacuum pumps and it will spoil it. So you need to really maintain, like a surgical cleanliness is required to be maintained between these two parts which are going to get hugged together for brazing. And then we realized that there is a technology which has been used, I mean, because we have uh, the India as a country roots with the space program with uh, France and uh, Russia, we understood from Russia that they use a technology called as electropolishing. Which is a reverse of electroplating. In plating, you deposit material. In the electropolishing, you selectively remove the material on the surface, and that is how you enhance the surface properties. And these properties actually give almost a nascent kind of a surface, which is absolutely must, or which is one of the best surface. Uh, any uh, metallurgist uh, who is deciding the brazing technology will be very uh, happy to use that surface for brazing. Now, how to really use this technology? So, we did uh, research, as I mentioned the last time, we worked with uh, a lot of academic institutions and we uh, got this technology slowly uh, developed in India. This academic institutions we started working, we developed this technology and delivered the first cryogenic part to Indian space program and uh, it has undergone all the tests. Now, at the same time, one of our Godrej division, which is a process equipment division, they were in discussions with uh, some of the petrochemical and uh, downstream products like uh, man-made fiber, synthetic rubber, glues, which are used uh, like uh, joining our uh, thermo or this one to the wood, like we call fevicol, And like those uh, opportunities started coming in India and this kind of a reactors, they require a large reactors to be made, and the, traditionally these reactors were made in glass, because when you produce this item in the reactor, the reactor has to bring everything out so that uh, the next batch you are ready. But if it sticks onto the surface, then somebody has to go inside, actually scratch it, polish it, and then use it. So it takes very long cycle time for one batch to other batch. But the glass reactors are not very easy to maintain because of a very uh, brittle uh, surface. If anything goes wrong in the reactor parameters, the glass will crack and then uh, relining with the glass is one of the very, very difficult and uh, time consuming costly operations so we researched and we found out that electro polishing what we are using uh, for improving the surface characteristics in cryogenic engine is one of the best techniques for getting us a non-sticky surface that means you use a stainless steel normally all our utensils and some of the stainless steel or brass copper mirrors what we use it those are highly polished but those are polished using the mechanical means and when you use mechanical means You actually make uniform roughness, but the peaks and the valleys, the peaks are required to be dissolved. That doesn't happen. Many times it gets folded. And because of the folding, you see like you are getting a very flat, uniform surface. The electropolishing, you selectively dissolve these peaks. And then we made a small reactor in our process equipment division. Aerospace team went and did the electropolishing of that reactor and we gave it to one of the industries in India to try it out. And that was highly successful. Now, once they found that there is a merit and it saves a huge amount of efforts in glass lining and maintaining those reactors, we were given first uh, the order for seven reactors in 1992. And then till today, this particular division using this electropolish reactors has done more than 500 reactors and saved a costly amount Import of these reactors now. These are very, very expensive reactors. India has more than 500 reactors coming from Godrej in these areas. As I said, man made fiber, synthetic rubber, wood and paper, then PVC, and there are so many other uh, areas where, wherever you see that there is a glue or a sticky surface, uh, I think this electro polishing technology works. And that is how we realize. But let me also tell you, uh, how did we really got this idea? We were in discussions with Dr. Kalam. Dr. Kalam was then uh, the director of uh, the Defense Research Laboratory. And then he uh, found that the composites which are being developed for various uh, military applications, he asked his scientists that why we cannot make the dental implants using this uh, technology. And what used to cost in those days in 1990s, something like 500 to 600 for the cheapest metallic uh, dental implant, started becoming available in just 25 to 30 rupees using a composite. So that kind of a drastic reduction. And then he used to always prompt us and make us think that you are working into aerospace doesn't mean that your domain should be restricted to aerospace and defense. You should think how it can be good for the other mankind, and what can we use. And that was a motivation for us to really look for it. And that's the first example, which uh, was very, very successful. In fact, uh, we have many such uh, success stories in these reactors even today. And then later on, let me add one more simultaneously what we did before I give it back to you. Uh, In aerospace, you know that we use a lot of uh, aluminium. And uh, not only aluminium, uh, which is in the purest form, but in very highly alloyed conditions so that it gives good strength also. Some of the alloys uh, which gives a strength something like a steel. So hydrogen peroxide was uh, extensively used in those days for bleaching, whether it is a paper or a cloth or anything which you want to make it absolutely white. Hydrogen peroxide is the best uh, bleaching agent. And it is very safe also. It is not like chlorine, which is uh, very popularly used in the earlier days. Now, hydrogen peroxide, if stored in non-aluminium vessels, it will start dissociation. Hydrogen peroxide is H2O2. It will start dissociating. It will evolve oxygen and uh, turn into the uh, water, H2O. And both are dangerous. Evolution of this high level of oxygen If there is any spark anywhere nearby or any other fire incidents or something, this oxygen is going to really feed it to a great extent. And so you have taken so much of efforts to convert water into its oxidized form. Hydrogen peroxide is going to get converted into a simple water. So it was not safe. Now, making those aluminum vessels in India was a challenge. Nobody was coming forward and was... Trusting us and you know in project business, especially when you are talking about a very large investment, it's a chicken and egg story. They may trust you as a Godrej, as an organization, but since you have no past experience of making a large aluminum reactor, how I really take risk with you and get it? It is good to me to go to somebody who is established. But making these vessels or making this fuel and oxidizer tanks for various missile programs helped us to get ourselves qualified very easily. And then we uh, got uh, the first hydrogen peroxide reactor uh, into India, which is a very long 60 meter tall tower, what we build about two meters in diameter. And after that, uh, all hydrogen peroxide reactors, whether it is uh, for A company or B company or C company, every reactor has been built by us. So I think these two spin-offs gave us uh, a tremendous uh, advantage of working in aerospace and then looking for opportunities in the other sectors, which are also of uh, national importance. Having hydrogen peroxide, having this kind of a reactors for synthetic rubber, man-made fiber, was equally important of of, uh, working into aerospace and defense.
0: It's a fascinating account as such. And how would you kind of know that this is a problem in that particular industry? Because... You know, you are working in Godrej and you are responsible for the aerospace division and you are responsible for ISRO and your routine day job involves working with delivering engines and the space program and everything else. And somebody is kind of telling you, okay, we have the particular opportunity. You talked about uh, uh, Dr. Kalam talking about some of the applications and so on. on. But I'm sure that there there are other people who might have also said there may be an interesting problem that we have solved in all of these things. So can you talk about how that pro- problem was highlighted? And, because at the end of the day, you need to know the, that there is a problem that exists in the other sector, and you need to know that this is a technology that exists from the space program. And you need to then know, okay, this is a difference that occurs, and this is the monetary value out of this, and you know this is the difference in deliverables and all of these things. So you need both expertise and knowledge from two different sectors. How does this evolve in
1: many of these examples? Absolutely. I mean, you asked uh, the the most important question in this, in the spin-off, because in aerospace, we know only one side of the story. We really don't know what is required on the other side. And unless and until you have some forum where you are going to really discuss, talk about these issues. So, uh, as I said, uh, Godrej is a multi-product company and we have different divisions. And uh, uh, there are uh, four divisions, which we call uh, as uh, the industrial product division, because they do all the tailor-made fabrications. And we have lots of forums within our organization where we come across and discuss. And we talk about and we, have, uh, uh, we always introduce our customers to our other divisions also. So in one of the forums, what happened where I was involved into one of the problem solving uh, case study in uh, process equipment division because of my knowledge in welding in aerospace. And I overheard uh, the rest of the team talking that this is one of the problem, how to make this reactor. But our main challenge is how to really create a non-sticky surface. And that prompted us to think as to how we can really go about it. And since most of these equipments, as I said, uh, it is uh, we are not the process licenses in any of these processes. We are uh, working on somebody's uh, specifications and somebody's drawings. So we then consulted the process licensor as to how you would uh, really like us to do it. And one of the ways what he suggested is to go for the traditional mechanical polishing and keep on uh, polishing this reactor after every two years or, x number of cycles if you take it but then he said there are uh, many people working on this technology for uh, uh, this particular area where they are thinking of non-mechanical kind of uh, polishing techniques and if you can develop that we will be happy to uh, qualify uh, your processes because uh, the process licensor has to give a final guarantee for the process so the issue is that once you create a surface which is either electropolished or whatever way you do it, it has to undergo certain test and see that it is not going to make any adverse impact onto the product quality or the life cycle. They know all the important things and they can think of how to really qualify it. So And secondly, in Godrej, we have a forum called as a Godrej Technology Colloquium. And there we invite. So, like, uh, uh, since I look after the Godri Aerospace, any important visitor which comes to us, we always uh, take his uh, additional one hour or two hour and make him to speak to all the 14 divisions and talk about, uh, I mean, I normally ask them to speak about India's space program or India's defense program or what are the challenges, how we really built it and uh, what is going to be our future. So, there is always a cross-interaction. So, this cross-interaction, the technology colloquium forum which is there and the four uh, industrial product divisions working together and having all those uh, technological issues being addressed, I think that really helped us. So, that is one way of looking at it. The second, uh, as an organization, we work with academia, as we work with uh, research institutes. And uh, there, once again, the interaction happens through A single uh, point of contact. So I am one of the single point of contacts if it has to be worked with uh, certain uh, institutions in India or certain R&D labs. So any uh, division who is having any issues which they want uh, some help from academia, they route it through me. So I know that uh, such and such area so that the end of the year... When I submit a report, it is a comprehensive report across all the divisions rather than each individual division trying to put a report to our management to continue our efforts with them or not. So um, we have created this kind of forums which helps us. Out of all of these things, you know, the
0: advantage of you having several business units and having to talk between them is quite a unique situation because this is not maybe the usual norm among other companies it may not be even the norm with bigger companies you know even as such with companies like lnt or others as well it may be something unique to godrej's own culture is that correct
1: i will not really say that it is unique to godrej there are many other organizations uh, who i have seen that they also have a similar forums and i think uh, in the recent past i have seen many of these organizations uh, bringing really uh, position in their organization as a chief technology officer or uh, some uh, kind of a chief engineer or a chief designer, I think that that really helps. So it is not related to only a particular product and he is not expert into a particular product. He may be expert into a particular product, but need not to have really, but he should have really a, a good overall knowledge of what is happening in the organization across various uh, products. But the other way of looking at it, I really appreciate uh, the efforts which have been taken in most of the Western countries and in the US is to form various uh, clusters. I think this is uh, the forum where uh, the clusters, uh, they can really share what is happening today. And we have also started uh, now that initiative for last eight years, we are running a Godrej Aerospace Cluster. And we try to resolve uh, problems within among ourselves. We really speak out, we meet every three months. We don't meet every month or so. Of course, in this pandemic time, we have a lot of uh, scheduled meetings every month also. But in normal time, every three months, we were meeting face-to-face and then trying to uh, ease out everyone's problems. So uh, once again, this culture, we have taken it from the successful uh, aerospace clusters across uh, the globe. The ancillary units, which the auto industry really uh, brings in, and they try to solve the problem. So there are many other examples which I can give, where such forums are available, where you can really talk about your issues and uh, together you can work uh, for a solution.
0: Of course, you know there is uh, the aspect of learning from all of these and looking at the fit between the problem and the spin off and everything else, and also the process of taking that and getting approvals to adopt that, because essentially. Uh, you know, there's two parts to it, right? One is, of course, uh, one part of it is if you're extracting some kind of a proprietary process or material or something that involves ISRO, probably there is uh, royalties or some sort of a contract mechanism that is involved. Yes. But if it is purely just uh, infrastructure and the manufacturing process that you have mastered, it may not involve any kind of royalties or any kind of uh, contractual agreements with ISRO as such. So can you walk us through a little bit on any such examples or what is the mechanism in which this kind of royalty based contracting or any other such forms of contracting is present when it comes to spin offs or in many other cases, you know, is there no such contracts at all that still allow you to go do those spin-offs uh, despite having a lot of these origins with, uh, with Istro, for example?
1: Yeah, our contracts with ISRO are where we are going to use their designs for making a same or a similar product. Whereas the manufacturing technologies is something which is uh, developed and owned by Godrej. So as long as we are using those manufacturing technologies purely, like when I made this particular hydrogen peroxide reactor, we didn't use any of the ISRO knowledge except from what we learned how to really weld a high-strength aluminum alloy and get us into the same kind of uh, profile accuracies. And it, it was a 60 meter long tower. So it was not a small tower to make. Now in 60 meter, if you don't make and uh, maintain the, the coaxiality, the tower will be highly unsafe. And that is what is the learning what we had uh, from this. So, so in such cases, there is no royalty which is required to be paid. But if you take an example where recently, just uh, As the pandemic started uh, in March uh, 2020 in India, uh, there was a report which came out and said that the ventilators available in India are not even the one-tenth of what is expected to be required if the peak happens in India. And then immediately the uh, government of India through Ministry of Health and the Ministry of Home Affairs they started investigating as to how to bring those kind of ventilators. But all over the world, the situation was the same. And the ventilator manufacturers were overloaded. And they were overloaded to the extent that the the the, the 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 earliest delivery, what they were promising was the six to eight months. And that time, government of India didn't have. So they decided that, okay, parallelly we'll order it. But simultaneously, let's take an initiative to make these ventilators in India. Now, our knowledge of making very precise uh, solenoid walls and uh, servo-controlled actuations for Indian space program, Indian defense program, that was very helpful. And then uh, DRDO decided that they will make attempt to make some of the aggregates of these ventilators to be produced in India because those aggregates were also not available in the open market. The companies which were producing it for uh, the companies like G's and others in the world for uh, producing the ventilators, they were also overbooked because everyone wanted to have a ventilators. And then we uh, decided that we will work with the aeronautical development agency, and we produce uh, proportional solenoid walls which are used in these ventilators in just a span of two or three weeks. They designed it, we manufactured, we perfected, uh, we immediately rigged up a test rig to make it, we tested, designs were improved and finally the production was stabilized. Now in such case, where we have used some of the technologies and some of the ready-to-use designs from uh, the aerospace industry, from defense and space, we had to pay a royalty to government for producing those uh, proportional walls and supply it to Bharat Electronics or other ventilator manufacturers in India who are assembling it. So both examples are there where we use direct appreciation or technology. You have to pay a royalty or where you are using only uh, part of the manufacturing technology and develop it uh, totally for another kind of a product. It's not required to pay you. It's not uh, bound by the agreements what we have signed.
0: Coming back to the broadness of the areas, because we only, again, discussed uh, so far, maybe two or three examples broadly with respect to spinoffs. Is there a way that you can put these examples of spinoffs within Godrej in different buckets, in different areas uh, that, you know, maybe in healthcare, maybe in other areas uh, uh, that you can broadly remember
1: as of today? Yes, I've already given you one from the refinery and petrochemical industry. Second one, I have given it from the chemical industry, the peroxide, one from the health industry. Now, let us uh, see uh, if there are any other examples. I mean, the quality systems, which I have given it to you. Now, uh, say, you know, in uh, uh, the desalination, what I talked last time. Now, the desalination plants are made out of uh, titanium alloys, and these alloys are not very easy to really work upon and uh, really form. And uh, shape and sizes of these uh, desalination plants are also uh, very, very typical. They are not need not be circular. There are many uh, cross sections in this desalination plant. I'm not a design expert, so I really don't know why. They cannot convert everything circular and why they have to use this kind of a, a squarish design or uh, the transitions between circular to square and square to circular or conical. But they use a lot of uh, such uh, transitions. So the working knowledge of uh, how to use, because in aerospace you must have seen that there are hardly any shapes which are regular shapes. All shapes are very, very funny and they are... Uh, uh, aerodynamically designed so such portions are required to take a lot of uh, care in uh, forming welding and distortion control and that in, in uh, if you have to do it in exotic alloys like a titanium and inconel it becomes still another challenge now the desalination plant because of its uh, very high content of uh, the salt which is uh, nacl the sodium as well as chlorine the chlorine is the most reactive element in this and once you select a, a very reactive aggressive element the titanium when you weld also requires a lot of precautions and uh, the cleanliness in this aluminum titanium welding also requires to be uh, even sometimes better than the aerospace quality so that's another example and uh, we have made uh, a very, very large capacity, very large capacity, three desalination plants which are installed in area uh, in near Gujarat and it has uh, worked uh, very successfully. The, another area what I can cite you is, uh, you know, all these wind tunnels what we make for testing aerospace. Now, creating that kind of a very high uh, uh, velocity air or if you have to test a high-altitude test for various thrusters or upper stages of the rocket launchers, you require a system called the ejector condenser because that's the only way you can maintain the vacuum or the speeds what you have achieved. Now, this once again comes from as a spin-off from the aerospace. You have most of your convergent divergence which are used in your thrusters for uh, or uh, 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 the thrust chambers of uh, any uh, liquid engine where you first compress at the throat and then suddenly eject it. Now there it is used to give a thrust. Whereas here we really use it to either give a uniform velocity to this wind tunnel or we use it for sucking the gases at uh, high altitude test chamber. So these are some of the things. The one more example if I uh, can add is uh, various uh, plating and anodization techniques or the surface uh, coatings like uh, there are blackodizing, or there are uh, other types of coatings which are very, very hard and those can be increasing the life of your compressors in your uh, air conditioners or refrigerators or deep freezers or recently for this vaccine lot of such uh, uh, deep freezes were required and uh, we used uh, those techniques uh, while manufacturing it
0: right and from all of these uh, things you know is there any way that you have been internally tracking what is the value of this because uh, at the end of the day it may be it may not be of uh, business process that people track about spin-offs and so on, because at the end of the day, anybody just takes that as a technology and then they productize, productizes that and sells it in the market. But uh, it's the work of normally academicians or other people to track such uh, spin-off benefits and kind of uh, look at what is the value of them in terms of the impact that is creating in The country's economy and others. But I'm hoping that uh, if if some of these applications have been modeled to know what is the economic impact of all of these things at the end, because I haven't seen any such examples talked about in a deeper sense and any such example talked about in monetary sense or in the scale and uh, in the scale sense, or even in terms of uh, you know, then the ability to competitively export or capture a global market because of all of these things is uh, a very interesting idea to explore. I'm not sure how much of this you think is is available as information.
1: Dr. Narayan, it is difficult for me to really answer this question because as you rightly said, uh, we are not into a product where we can really measure what is that we really got it. We are into the manufacturing and the processes. And only one process like only electropolishing or the capability to weld or capability to really form titanium is not really going to win you the entire project. It it becomes essential uh, or kind of a mandatory thing. And in the world of uh, chicken and egg uh, where you don't have a past experience after making the first desalination plant way back in uh, 2002, I don't think uh, in the last uh, 15, 20 years anybody has asked us, whether we should consider you. I mean, now you are already into all the, the inquiries or the tenders which are being floated. You are a approved vendor for that. But the first entry is always difficult. Now, how much of that inquiry or the total potential you are going to attribute towards this one technology which essentially made difference in qualifying you than the other Indian partners? that is very difficult to really assess and account for it. At least I have not done it, to be frank with you. And I don't want to give any false examples or some numbers, which may uh, may not be right. And it may unnecessarily create some kind of, a, uh, I mean, anxiety in everyone. So uh, I will refrain my files, uh, from uh, answering this question to you. Sorry about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's more of a job of, a, I would say, an economist or somebody who, is, who can work with uh, like a social scientist, with an economist in this case, uh, to model such a scenario uh, as such. Yeah. Uh, ISRO also publishes you know, a list of these technologies that they transfer or are able to transfer to the industry. Uh, I'm not sure when that culture started in ISRO, to be very honest. I know that they have this technology transfer arm, and they routinely sometimes publish a list of about 100 technologies or so that uh, is available to transfer to the industry as such. In your experience, uh, you know, have you looked at any of those kinds of technologies and said, uh, these are interesting for us, or is there any kind of a mechanism where you get to know that some of these technologies are available or are, are continuously reviewing in some of the other business units perhaps? Uh, are applicable and
1: you approach them on a routine basis all these days our focus was on build to print so we were not really looking into such kind of uh, critical technologies but uh, of late uh, in the last two years we have started entering into build to spec and uh, currently we are developing a a mechanism for steering the nose landing gear how do you really steer it and uh, there we are trying to use uh, one or two technologies uh, what ISRO and DRDO has made open to private industries. The second technology what we are trying to use is after having developed this uh, brazing technology for the cryogenic engines, we have taken now uh, technology development for uh, brazing of aircraft engine blades. These blades, uh, for ease of uh, their forging or casting, they are deliberately given some venting holes because they only. the you will be able to form them or cast them but those holes are later on in service they are not good they are required to be plugged and that's a very critical technology to plug it using a brazing technology you cannot put a insert because they are going to revolve at a higher rpms they are going to see very high temperatures so whatever you are going to use it has to be completely homogeneous with the rest of the blade. So you have to actually do in-situ casting in those small 2-dia, 3-dia, 3-dia millimeter holes, uh, in-situ casting or in-situ brazing of that particular alloy. But selection of that alloy and qualifying that alloy is something which is very, very uh, tricky and uh, critical. So that we are going to use uh, some of these technologies and uh, we have uh, signed up uh, few agreements with ISRO and DRDO to develop it. Similarly, we have taken an agreement along with uh, the Ministry of Defense for uh, various kinds of rubber, which are used for uh, using uh, sealing uh, various surfaces. And also there are uh, some rubbers which are highly conductive rubbers. So we are uh, developing those uh, further for uh, some of our defense applications as well as for some of our uh, consumer product applications also.
0: I'm going to again ask you uh, probably a difficult question uh, as such, which is, um, is there a way that uh, you see as a possibility to open up a lot of these uh, processes, the information at least on some of these processes or uh, some of the material related experiences in a way that uh, is almost an analogy to like the Apple App Store or you know the Google Play Store or something like that? Where you have the expertise and you have the infrastructure and you have the know-how of all of this, and then once people know that there is all of this potential that is out there, they they are coming from other sectors. Like you know, there they may be people who are healthcare entrepreneurs, or they may be food tech entrepreneurs, or they may be some other technology-based uh, entrepreneurs, and they are essentially craving for somebody who has. Uh, this kind of capability and capacity and the know how and you know they they may use it in their own way in that such but then the pr- question is somebody needs to know that there is all of this kind of information uh, that is available and there's this capacity available and there is this uh, you know infrastructure available for them to to do all of these things. Is there any like thought uh, out there that you could make some of this thing like a platform internally that Invites other people to look at Godrej as almost an app store of kinds that can then accelerate the whole phenomenon of spin-offs altogether.
1: Yeah. So first thing after we worked uh, for the first time. I mean, for last uh, twenty years or thirty years, Godrej Aerospace has been working only into aerospace and uh, defense domain. This, this year, because of the pandemic 2020, we got opportunity to work in healthcare and we really saw that there is a lot of synergy, a lot of synergy between the two. The type of alloys what we are using because of the corrosion resistance, uh, strength, or because of uh, certain critical properties that alloys what they develop and uh, distribute, and plus the geometries which are used. I mean I was stunned to see the kind of geometries which we are having it into our body by way of various bones and joints and the human implants and this, it has tremendous potential. So uh, there is a lot of synergy which we are created and what uh, prompted that prompted us to really bring that should we define our domain as aerospace and defense, especially when we are into build to print category. If I'm a product company into aerospace, surely I will have to define it like that. And we have redefined and instead of saying that I am in domain of working for uh, Indian space program or for the space, various liquid engines or the various liquid stages, we have said no. I think we should redefine and say ourselves as we are good manufacturers who understands uh, uh, the metallurgy like uh, the Inconel and Monels and Titaniums and, the aluminiums and all types of uh, materials and the process knowledge. So we are we are basically the process owners rather than manufacturers of engine and it so happened that in last 30 years we have made using this our manufacturing technologies the liquid engines for Indian space program. But liquid engine is not a product or liquid engine is not our expertise. our expertise is in manufacturing and once we defined that, We started getting huge amount of inquiries now getting generated as we changed our website, as we changed our narrative. We said that we are good fabricators, we are good machinists, we are good people who understand very precision welding, precision forming, precision machining and can give you a sterile surface. Whether it is for uh, aerospace industry or whether it is for healthcare or even for the chemical industries. Many of the chemicals today, what they are using and producing, it requires that kind of a cleanliness and uh, uh, I mean the, uh, the super finishing of those uh, products. So that is the first change we brought in, and that is now opening up many doors to us. The second change, I think, what is required to be brought in is, uh, as I said, the cluster, because in the cluster, when you really speak and talk. You will be able to get into more details and more understanding of what is happening. A cluster partner need not be attached with you. He may be supplying something else to auto industry. Maybe he's uh, supplying it to other general engineering industry. He may be supplying it to somewhere else. But he has once again like us some specialized processes which are of uh, tremendous use to uh, uh, other uh, products also. So. Uh, as long as we are not into a product, I think this is good to keep this narrative and don't get attached with the particular domain. Once we separate ourselves from a domain, I think rest, everything will become open to us.
0: Right, and one of the aspects of uh, all of this, uh, this is not, of course, uh, this particular question is not really attached to Godrej as such, but looking at how we can do more spin-offs. you know in india for example because one of the models that i see which is interesting that we haven't probably tried in india is uh, this whole network of uh, uh you know in in europe for example they have a very different model in spin-offs that i see where basically when the european space agency says there is some technologies available for spin-off or so on they have um, dedicated firms in different parts of the You know, European geography in Europe has like 28 countries or so on. So they have a network of, you know, people who are innovation masters or innovation strategy kind of uh, firms who understand other sectors and, uh, you know, the technology evolving in those sectors. And they are appointed by the European Space Agency to then take that technology and help the other sectors recognize its value and to adopt it. And so they do this uh, basically uh, kind of a matchmaking between what ESA has and what the other sector needs, because they are the bridge makers on both of these things. And, you know, at the end of the day, their incentive, the incentive that this, these companies get is that once the, you know, the company adopts it, that's when, you know, the these guys can get an economic incentive to then, uh, you know, be sustainable as, as these bridge makers, right? So unfortunately i haven't really seen any such experimentation with respect to spin offs when it comes to uh, india because you know there's a published list of technologies and the most recent very interesting spin off uh, which got a lot of press as well was the lithium ion uh, you know lithium polymer lithium ion kind of a battery technology and there were i think 15 vendors or so who ended up paying one or two crore rupees in getting the transfer of technology from isro and so on so these are very traditional ways of uh, looking at spin offs and how they are actually administered into other sectors and there could be some such models that can be explored that probably you know encourages or spreads its wings in different industries in different fashion rather than looking at these very traditional ways of engaging i mean what are your kind of thoughts on all of these kinds of
1: models I think one of the experiment what I saw a few years back, which was done by the stainless steel institute or the Indian Institute of Metals, was to really invite all the stainless steel users together, irrespective of a particular field. And I was invited there from the aerospace and defense and I was asked to speak that in aerospace and defense where all you use stainless steel. And what is that properties of the stainless steel you really use? How you really work on it? What kind of a dimensions you are able to achieve? What kind of a profiles you are able to achieve? What kind of a uh, simplification you are able to do it? And when we shared that with every user, I mean somebody was from chemical industry, somebody was from toy industry which uses some kind of a stainless steel. So it was from various domains people were called to only find out how we can. Uh, promote stainless steel into uh, as a material in advantage with uh, the other alloys. So that really uh, gave us a cross-functional kind of understanding of uh, what are all the properties of stainless steel which I mean, the toy industry was using it from a particular uh, angle of that particular uh, material as to how it can be formed well or what kind of a complex shapes it can be given or how to really make the surface more attractive so their, their uh, usage was totally different from what we use it in aerospace. But finally, when you combine both of them together, you will get far, far deeper understanding of that particular alloy. And I think the same thing should be done for uh, the other manufacturing processes. Like this example, what I gave is uh, from a particular material. I think we should... Really talk about what is the titanium, what is a 3D printing. So where the 3D printing is being used, what kind of a parts you have really produced, where are you using it, what kind of a uh, test it has undergone, because it's an evolving technology. 3D printing is still not very popular. It is not because the printers are not available. It is not because of the powders are not available, but because there is lack of standards today for the 3D printed parts. There is no ASTM standard. There is no NDT technique which is well established. But people in their respective areas have found a proper specification or a proper uh, non-destructive test to judge what is going to be the residual life or what is going to be the life as the part is getting produced. And this knowledge combined together can really get us collectively a huge amount of data which is missing, which is available in different pockets but not really collected together. So some forum like this, whether it is to be done by the Indian Institute of Materials or even the, the International Institute of Materials or whether it should be done by the manufacturing, like we have Fraunhofer, which is uh, specializing into the manufacturing techniques. So should they really invite people and ask them to speak? You have used machining to what kind of a, a machining you could achieve, what kind of a dimensions you could do it and how that can be easily uh, being percolated down. Maybe in aerospace, the volumes are going to be less. The cost of production will be high. But when you apply such techniques to producing auto industry, the cost of such process may come down drastically.
0: One of the aspects that uh, probably we didn't touch upon is this whole aspect of uh, spin-ins. Because like there are spin-offs, there are also spin-ins where it may not be very evident that there is a spin in and most often there is a spin off and probably you know spin ins are quite rare uh, mm-hmm. because of the requirements that the aerospace and the space field has but the question is you know are there any recognizable spin ins that you recognize where you had experience from other sectors that you thought are directly you can bring that into the space sector and say we have established something in the other sector and we see the potential of that being brought in directly to the requirements in the space program.
1: Yeah, So I think every spin-off has a spin-in also. That is what I strongly believe and one example of this electro polishing if I had to give you uh, when we were doing electro polishing for the space engines and space parts the volume was restricted to two meters or a little more than two meters but when we Got that into the petroleum and uh, refinery uh, reactors, those reactors are typically 6 meters to 8 meters. Now, for that 6 meters to 8 meters reactors, if you have to establish a large size electro polishing, it could have taken millions of dollars of investment and the uh, volumes are not that great. So, that forced us to find out whether we can do electro polishing into pieces. So there the typical size of those uh, refinery reactors or petrochemical reactors is 6 meters and above and the lengths are going up to once again 10 meters, 12 meters, 20 meters. And I give you example of uh, aluminum peroxide reactor which goes up to 60 meters uh, tall. So in such cases you have to fabricate or you have to do this kind of electro polishing into small small pieces and then join it together. So uh, when you join it together, how do you take? I mean, such a 60 meter reactor, you cannot rotate, you cannot go up. So we developed a small, handheld, uh, portable kind of electro polishing technology for those reactors. And then when we moved from the conventional or the uh, the first uh, cryogenic engine, uh, which uh, we got a technology transfer from Russia, to the current semi cryo technology, which we are jumping from seven and a half ton thrust to 200 ton thrust, the size of this semi cryo thrust chamber has become very massive now. It's impossible to do it in the conventional way of electro polishing. So now we are taking the reverse technology of what we used uh, handled. Uh, Pads for electro polishing in situ kind of a thing. 60 meter tall. You go up with this small tool and do electro polishing of the reactors which you joined it. I mean, we made that into 20 meter section which was easy to transport. At site we joined it to make it 60 meter, and then electro polished it from inside. After the erection, it vertical. Now, that technology has been brought in back into the aerospace. And when we moved from a small seven and a half ton thrust to 200 ton thrust of uh, semi-cryo, we had nothing to really worry. The technology was available. So like I said, every spin off has a spin in. So uh, there are many, many ways uh, we can talk about spin in also in this. The forming technology, the auto industry, if you see the A frame and D frames, what they really make it. Oh, it's a, such a complex sections. What they have really found out how to really form and use it. Same sections today we are using in many areas. Uh, same, not exactly same, but the similar technologies, the uh, similar cross sections, but in different alloys. But they have found a way to really form it and make it single piece rather than having a welding.
0: Right, and. Out of all of these things, um, is there any like ongoing effort within Godrej at this point of time? Because I did, you know, talk to your colleagues, uh, Nalini and you know Elizabeth and others, uh, looking at uh, all of the work that they've been doing also on the historical side of capturing archives and uh, you know your in-house uh, historian. Uh, I think Vrinda, I think uh, right. So is there also like some kind of a exercise within GoldStreet today of uh, archiving these kinds of uh, things, because I think these are, these are very, very, very interesting uh, aspects of how the, you know, the, the company is kind of evolved to serve on all, all of these things. And it may be very interesting to also look back from all of these, you know, 20 years from now, or even looking at already what has been done for the last 30 years as such.
1: Yeah, so one is what uh, Nalini said that uh, Vrinda looks after our archives and every such important document is archived there. But more important is, I think, uh, when we moved over to our new ERP system from BAN to Infor, I think we have created a very potential and very, very uh, user-friendly knowledge management portal on that. And each and every information is being uh, put into uh, this knowledge management portal with keywords so that your search becomes easy. Say so dumping data is easy, but then searching it back is going to be a problem. And that is where we have focused. And that's why I see that this, this portal is going to help us because it's like a Google search. It's very, very effective. All the data, what we have stored, uh, you can either uh, check it back by the material, the process, the tolerances, the criticality, the customer or the application. And these keywords, uh, like we write any scientific paper, with the keywords abbreviated into that. So similarly, this our knowledge management portal also is uh, uh, very nicely uh, got into it, and uh, we are just using it for the last eight nine months. It came out during this uh, uh, pandemic time only. It become operational rather, I will say.
0: In your opinion, you know how how can other such SMEs or others do this? Because at the end of the day, you know, a company like Godrej is uh, has probably much more resources in uh, doing all of these things. And I mean, although this question is not maybe directly related to um, you know your company as such, but I'm sure that you may have some suggestions here for other people or other companies as well and looking at all of these uh, ideas and, and capturing all of these, or is there any way that you think of that a centrally available archive can be developed across the country uh, where people can look at uh, kind of listing these things or having uh, some of these documented? Because I think at the end of the day, we we are progressing on a lot of these fronts, but we are forgetting a lot of these connections that are out there, which are kind of very valuable historically and for, you know, knowledge
1: sake. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Dr. Narayan. In fact, uh, I have been pursuing in every forum, uh, wherever I get opportunity to talk about, so there are three things which, in my opinion, we should really do it before we actually go into the knowledge management. The first and foremost important for a country like us uh, is to really have our own standards and specifications, Unfortunately, in the last uh, 40 years, 50 years or 60 years, we are working into this aerospace and uh, the defense areas or even the nuclear, we have failed to make our own standards and specifications. The standards and specifications are the backbone of any engineering excellence, what you really want to build. And it is not that uh, you can copy also. I have no objection in uh, copying if there are some good standards and specifications available but they are required to be first made available very easily at very cheap price where everybody can access rather than copying and then trying to download unauthorized. I think let's make everyone to really have a proper document with him so he understands what is the specification and standard which is required for this particular product or a process to really honor it. The second aspect is once you develop a product, we are not really uh, that good in patenting it. Because after all, we have taken a lot of efforts in developing that technology. Why should I make my polishing technology so easily available to others when I'm going to really look uh, to recover my expenses of R&D and then at least uh, some growth for my organization? So there has to be some protection. So we are not as good as uh, having a good uh, the patenting system. So that's the second I will insist that we should really do it. And then the third thing will come is that, yes, now you have uh, good uh, standards which are free for everyone. You have some good patenting using those standards, something specialized. You have made it. You are at least protected for five years, 10 years, 15 years. And then once you have that, I think you should be ready to really share your knowledge. If you jump on to sharing knowledge... I'm sure it is not going to happen. People will be very, very apprehensive and uh, reserved in talking about the details and hiding most of the information or maybe directing you to a wrong thing so that you will take a longer time. So if we do this systematically, starting from specifications to strengthening the IP and then knowledge management and sharing it, it will go very well. It may take another five years, but I think uh, we have waited so long Waiting for another five years is not a thing, but we need to start.
0: Right. I'm very conscious of the time and um, I know that you're also on vacation. So one last final question before I let you go. Where do you think are the most exciting areas that you believe are interesting for the next five to ten years when it comes to spin-offs? spinoffs?
1: Uh, how do I really answer this? Because... Uh, Uh, Say From aerospace and defense, I see that we will be able to horizontally deploy. It will not be really called as a spin-off because that's the market which is really opening up in India to a great extent. And next five to 10 years, at least for my division and most of the Indian private companies who are entered into it, we are all very busy. We have lots of order books, lots of new inquiries coming in. So we really don't have much of a time to really think, but to really complete the task on hand. So, that is the first thing. But without forgetting uh, that, I think uh, we need to prepare. This is not going to be a perpetual thing. It has to have uh, a sinusoidal effect. So, sometimes in next 5-10 years, we are going to go down. And uh, unless we start looking into the the cross-functional requirements of uh, this... Uh, uh, So I I really see that uh, the two of the technologies uh, which we are trying to really learn and integrate, one is that uh, Godrej has decided to enter into uh, composites and we have invested already uh, quite heavily into composite. But our aim is not really to concentrate only composite as a composite, but we are looking for how to interface between metal and uh, composites because most of the composites are... Not that way, the environmental friendly. And if you are looking for today's uh, world, when we have signed all those Paris Agreement and other things, I think continuing in composite is not going to be that easy. It's not going to be environmental friendly and not really safe. So a good combination where you can recycle, I mean, whatever may be the cost of using a titanium or aluminum, but entire thing can be recycled for sure. Even if it goes into a space and remains as a debris, the composite will not get, uh, uh, I mean, uh, distorted uh, at all. But uh, whereas the metallic atoms will definitely be able to, uh, we can recover it and recycle them or they will not create a detrimental effect. So a good combination between the two. And uh, the combination when it comes, it is uh, how do we really uh, match the properties of metal And the non-metal. So, some of the techniques like what uh, the light weighting, those which are coming up now, I see will have a huge, huge impact. Not only it's a development in aerospace sector, but it will have a tremendous spin-offs which are coming into the other uh, areas also. Who doesn't want anything to be lighter and cheaper? So, light weighting is going to be a very, very important technology uh, which uh, has to really be looked after. The uh, another one is uh, the integrated uh, uh, the IoT techniques, the small sensors which are coming up. Uh, we maybe started using it into aerospace as a, a mandatory requirement there. Most of the aerostructures today, you have these small chips which are incorporated into it, but I think it is going to become a big spin-off opportunities for every product what we are going to use it to find out the residual life and what is the deterioration of that particular component has happened using these uh, spin-offs and it will tell its own story. So data collection is no longer going to be a tedious job. It will be a simple thing to really make into it. So I see these two technologies, uh, a spin-off, uh, if we start really uh, monitoring them and really capturing them into all aspects, it will be a big, big industry uh, innovation
0: again so thank you so much for uh, again coming and talking for an hour on all of these things very very insightful again i hope to catch up with many of the other you know business leaders who have been in a very similar situation as you have been to look at what they have also done and how they have also captured all of these and a comparison of all of these will be also very interesting to know at the end of it So again, thank you so much for taking the time. I hope you have a very good vacation period uh, with your family in the US and uh, hope to catch up with you possibly in person
1: and safe travel back to India. Thank you so much, Dr. Nara. It was always a pleasure talking to you and very interesting.